A reading from Psalm 130, a song for pilgrims ascending to Jerusalem. From the depths of despair, O Lord, I call for your help. Hear my cry, O Lord. Pay attention to my prayer. Lord, if you kept a record of our sins, who, O Lord, could ever survive? But you offer forgiveness that we might learn to fear you. I am counting on the Lord. Yes, I am counting on him. I have put my hope in his word. I long for the Lord more than centuries long for the dawn. Yes, more than centuries long for the dawn. O Israel, hope in the Lord. For with the Lord there is unfailing love. His redemption overflows. He himself will redeem Israel from any kind of sin. Thank you, Abba Father, that you sent your son Jesus to be our redeemer. Who could stand, O Lord, if you had not sent him? And so we thank you for that today, Lord, and we ask for your mercy and your grace to overflow uh, each one of us here today, Father. And we ask, Lord, that you would show us your way, show us how to reverently fear and worship you, to draw so close in intimacy to you that, Lord, nothing else matters. And so we thank you today, Lord, for your redeeming love, and uh, we praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. Hello, friends. It's good to be with you today. If we haven't had the chance to meet, my name is Kirsten, and I'm on the pastoral team here at Living Waters. I keep waiting for the tree behind me here in the window to start to turn colors so it can look more fallish when we uh, chat with you guys at church at home. Um, I love fall. I love the sweaters. I love the cozy drinks. How are you feeling? Do you like fall? If you're sad that fall is here and you're mourning the loss of summer, give me, give me an email. We could go out for coffee. I'll get you a hot drink. Um, our teaching series this fall has been focused on the Psalms. I've been finding a lot of life in the Psalms through this series, and I hope that you have too. Uh, in his introduction to the whole series, Luke said that these prayers in the Bible keep us honest and present. And I think they do. They help us to be honest about who we are and how we're doing. And they ground us in the gritty realities of the here and now. Kathleen Norris is an author, and she talks in one of her books about teaching children to write poetry through looking at the Psalms. Their Psalms, she observes, uh, often have an emotional directness that are quite similar to the Psalms. She shares about one little boy who wrote a poem called The Monster Who Was Sorry. The boy began by admitting that he hates it when his father yells at him. His response in the poem is to throw his sister down the stairs and then to wreck his room and finally to wreck the whole town. The poem concludes, then I sit in my messy house and say to myself, I shouldn't have done all that. My messy house says it all, Kathleen writes with more honesty than most adults could have mustered. <clears throat> I read this years ago, and I've never forgotten it. As I reflect on the beginning of Psalm 130, our text for today, it's this image that comes to mind. The monster who was sorry 
sitting in his messy house and saying to himself, I shouldn't have done all that. How many times have I felt like that monster? Norris uses this story to describe the word repentance. And I think it gives us a sense of where we're often at when we so desperately need to turn to God. Sometimes we can think of repentance as a kind of clinical process of listing our wrongdoings to God, perhaps like finally taking stock of our finances and figuring out how in debt we really are. It's usually much messier than that. And it often isn't just a process of taking stock of our sin. It's also about acknowledging our pain. Because mixed up with our sins are the sins of others and our general experience of living in a broken world. Sometimes it's really clear to me that there is something that I have done wrong that I need to confess to God. Other times, all I know is that the landscape of my heart, my emotions, my thoughts, and the actions that flow out of them are a mess, and I have no idea how to set things to rights. It's time for me to cry out to the Lord, to hand him the whole broken mess and acknowledge once again that I desperately need him. This crying out to the Lord is what repentance or confession is all about. And it's where Psalm 130 begins. From the depths of despair, O Lord, I call for your help. Hear my cry, O Lord. Pay attention to my prayer. Psalm 130 is a breath of fresh air because it gives us permission to be honest about our suffering, to bring it directly and forthrightly to God. Eugene Peterson says that if Psalm 130 did nothing more than that, it would be a prize, for it is difficult to find anyone in our culture who will respect us when we suffer. But Jesus does. And even more importantly, he accepts us, even if the suffering is mostly of our own making. Regardless of how dark our life has gotten, we are invited to bring our broken, wounded selves into the holy presence of God. If you have felt like you've been crying out to the Lord out of the depths lately, you're not alone. These days, we need the invitation of Psalm 130 to come home into the presence of God. Psalm 130 is part of a special collection of 15 songs called the Psalms of Ascent. This is a special hymn book of sorts that most think were sung as people traveled to Jerusalem for the great worship festivals in the temple. Since Jerusalem is literally a city on a hill, these pilgrimage, the pilgrimages to Jerusalem would have involved an upward climb or ascent. There is a sense of journeying back towards home in these Psalms. These pilgrimages to Jerusalem for the worship festivals were journeys back to the temple, to that central place where God dwelt, where they were able to receive forgiveness, where they remembered who they were as a people. Singing these songs along the journey would have reminded the people who they were and whose they were. These were, in fact, songs about returning home into the presence of God. 
This psalm also, though, is a part of a different grouping of psalms called the penitential psalms. To be penitent is to show sorrow or regret for wrongdoing, to confess, to repent, to say we're sorry. There are seven penitential psalms, and they give us the language and space to bring our brokenness to God. They normalize this act of bringing our messy lives to God as a regular part of a life lived in relationship with Him. If when we look at Psalm 130, we hold both of these themes together, repentance and homecoming, I think we can see that they are actually pointing to the same thing. Because coming home into the presence of God always involves this acknowledgement of our own brokenness. It's always a laying down, or at least an acknowledgement, of our insistence on being right. And coming to an end of ourselves and asking Jesus to forgive us of our sin is ever, always a journey to our truest and best home. What does it look like to come home? Well, first, it's a place where we're always given a clean slate. Lord, the psalmist says, if you kept a record of our sins, who could ever survive? We're invited here to stop and consider for a moment what it would be like if God didn't offer us forgiveness, but instead kept a permanent record of our sin. I don't know if you've ever been in a relationship where the person was unable to let go of something that you've done. It's a nightmare, especially if it's one of the central relationships in your life. Unforgiveness makes intimacy impossible. When we think of how we have failed God over and over again, the psalmist is right. If he kept a record of our wrongs, it would crush us. But it can be easy for us to slip into thinking that God is keeping a record of our wrongs, which is why we are reminded again and again of the freeing truth that we are forgiven. As Paul says, if God is for us, who can ever be against us? Since he did not spare even his own son, but gave him up for us all, won't he also give us everything else? Who dares accuse us whom God himself has chosen for his own? No one, for God himself has given us right standing with himself. Who then will condemn us? No one, for Christ Jesus died for us and was raised to life for us. That's Romans 8, 31 to 34. This is the promise that makes it safe for us to come home. The door is always open for anyone who would come to him. And when we come home to him, we learn to fear him. This tying together of God's forgiveness with learning to fear God is, I think, one of the really beautiful parts of the psalm. But initially, it can sound kind of confusing. I suspect that when we think of fearing God, we think it's something people do when they don't feel forgiven, when they are afraid that God is going to get them. My husband and I joke about how our picture of God sometimes starts to look a bit more like Zeus than like Jesus. Zeus, the Greek god who liked to hurl lightning bolts at people whenever they displeased him. Isn't that what we're talking about when we're talking about fearing God? But there's a different kind of fear. 
The forgiveness of God allows us to step into right relationship with him as a daughter, as a son. Notice how many times the word Lord is used in this psalm. This is about coming back into a right relationship with our Lord, our King. Repentance is coming back home to the Father. It's putting down our childish attempts to run our own lives without His help. It's finally giving Him the reins. It's allowing Him to clean up our scrapes and to put Band-Aids on our cuts. Because, as my six-year-old will tell you, Band-Aids heal everything. A true repentance will not cause you to take forgiveness lightly, to accept it in a cavalier way without recognizing its cost or the authority of the one who has granted it. A true repentance will deepen our love and our reverence for the one who has set us free. A true repentance restores us to our rightful relationship with God. It truly is a coming home. We are not, in our culture, comfortable with anyone being in authority over us, are we? The narratives of our world are full of abuses of power by those in authority. That may be true of some of the leaders in our world, but it is not true of Jesus. It is not true of God. The entire Bible declares again and again that God is good. He has not been corrupted by power. He does not use people for his own advantage. Jesus lived among us to show us the character of God. He knew that with all the power-hungry, cruel leaders in the world, and there have always been these kinds of leaders, he needed to show that the ultimate Lord was different. You know, the most godlike thing Jesus ever did was not revealing his glory on the Mount of Transfiguration. It wasn't calming a raging storm. It wasn't feeding 5,000 people with almost nothing. The most godlike thing Jesus ever did was to stretch out his arms and to die on a cross. This is the central message of this psalm. Our God loves us and forgives us. He doesn't lord his power over us. He lays it down and dies for us. And because of that, we can fear him. We can let him be the ultimate authority in our lives. He can be trusted. The psalmist tells us in the following verses that he is counting on the Lord. What he means is that he is placing all his bets on God. He is relying on Yahweh. And he is relying on him as he has been revealed in the scriptures. He has put his hope, he tells us, in God's word. There is no partial commitment here. The psalmist, having come home, is putting down roots. This is where I am staying, he says. I've given my whole self to him. And he tells us that he is waiting, longing for the Lord. The image we are given here is of a sentry or a watchman waiting throughout the night. No one likes to stay up through the night, but a watchman has to, to keep everyone else safe. A watchman longs for the dawn to come 
when the dangerous night is over. Even more than that longing is his deep longing for the Lord. The picture that we gain from these images is one of the peace that comes from trust. With God in his rightful place as Lord, and with the restoration of relationship that comes from forgiveness, the psalmist is at peace. I have found that once we get used to being in that place of peace with God, we want to stay there. And because of that, I find that confession is something I want to do regularly. In fact, I think a mark of maturity is not actually that we confess less, but that we confess more. The more we know Jesus, the more aware we are of our brokenness and our need for him. And the more distressing it is for us to be in conflict with God. We get used to having a sense of peace in the center of our hearts. And the other beautiful thing that happens is that the more fully we accept the grace of God, the more we will end up people who can help others to come home to Him. It's easy for us in our individualistic culture to simply read this psalm and think about our vertical relationship with God. But this experience of confession shapes our experience as a community in profound ways. As we experience the grace of God over and over again, it begins to shape us. Over time, the Holy Spirit builds our hearts to be places of gracious welcome for others who are crying out from the depths. As we spend time with our Father, we become like Him, who graciously forgives and welcomes us. Henry Nouwen talks about this in his book um, that talks about the story of the prodigal son that Jesus tells. You'll find it in Luke 15. In this story, there are two sons. The younger defies his father and leaves home. The older son stays at home with his father, but his heart, we find in the story, is also far from home. Nowen suggests that both sons are called to return home to the father, to let go of their respective brokenness and receive the father's grace, love, and forgiveness. And then Nowen suggests that ultimately, both the older and the younger son are called to grow up into the role of father. They are called to learn to love in a way that reflects the radical love of their father, who welcomes both of them back fully and completely, who interrupts their confession with a party. I have seldom encountered a more helpful image of Christian maturity. We experience the forgiveness and healing of our homecoming to Jesus, and He makes us a similar place of welcome for others. We want this community, our community, Living Waters, to be a place where people can experience this kind of welcome, a place where people who cry out from the depths of despair experience the compassion and the grace of God. And not just those who are in Christian community, but for any human being who is hurting and broken. This is how people find Jesus, through us 
demonstrating his heart to others. This is one of those places where the rubber hits the road in our faith. Because to be honest, hurting people are seldom easy to love. And right now, a lot of us are hurting for many, many reasons. But there is an invitation for every person who is crying out to God from the depths of despair. There is an invitation to come home. And each one of us has the opportunity to express this gracious welcome of God. You know, one of the things I love about this psalm is how personal God is in it. Is in it. And my favorite verses are the final ones. O Israel, hope in the Lord. For with the Lord there is unfailing love. His redemption overflows. He himself will redeem Israel from every kind of sin. When I read these lines, especially the last line, I see our Lord looking forward to the cross. This psalm was written hundreds of years before Jesus' life on earth. But here we see the heart of God looking forward to the ultimate reason why we never need to hide our brokenness from him. He died so that we could come home to him, as we are and always be welcomed home. You know, we do a crappy job sometimes at representing what it means to be a Christian. This gig's not for the slick and put together. It isn't for the people who look right. It's for the confused, the angry, the lost, the addicted, the exhausted. It's for us. And the only ticket for admission is that we come, not cleaned up, no, as we are. Jesus transforms us. He heals us. He gives us victory over so much in our lives. But first, we are a mess. And we mess up again and again. And over and over again, he heals us and makes us new. Jesus died so that we could come home. In the end of time, when he makes all things new, yes, but before that also. He died so that we could come home to him today. I'd like to invite you to make confession a regular part of your life, like brushing your teeth or taking a shower. You may not know what to say to Jesus. You may not have a clear sense of what you need to confess. But if you start talking, if you start sharing the ugly parts of your heart that you're hiding from everyone else, you'll learn what you need to lay down. And he'll be able to love you in the places you most desperately need it. You'll find that he's been longing for you to talk to him about what's been going on. Because he's been longing for you to come home.